0: Excuse me this morning. My throat's a little raw. I've been fighting whatever it is that's in the air. If you have been following the ongoing discussions within the Methodist Church for the last several months, then you know that there are issues being debated and a committee has been formed To find a way forward so that the church might find resolution to these very complicated issues about human sexuality and uh, other things that have divided churches over the last few decades, not just. Hours, as it threatens to do, but uh, the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Baptist Church, countless churches have struggled with these things. So this committee on a way forward uh, is, is working to find a solution, and we don't know what that solution looks like. We'll just have to wait and see. But we know that in the meantime, division is never easy, but then neither is unity. Paul talks about these things in our epistle this morning. And so I thought it would be appropriate if we took a look at these um, so that we are better prepared to have this dialogue that is the ongoing discussion in the church. So in Philippians 4, Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euda and I urge Sedice to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, it's not clear just exactly who euda and sedice were but what is clear is that there was division between them in this church at philippi what's also clear is that they were believers who worked alongside paul in the spreading of the gospel and that paul was personally invested in them and wanted them to work things out for the good of the church Division in the church. Can you imagine? That would never happen today, would it? Division in the church. Whoever heard of such a thing? But this year marks a very significant anniversary in the history of the church. It's an anniversary of division in the church. Does anybody know what anniversary I'm speaking of? Just shout it out. Reformation, the Reformation. This is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, which began in the year 1517, when Martin Luther, who is an Augustinian monk, a Catholic, posted his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Church. Now, a couple of points that you should probably know about this landmark moment in history When Luther nailed these 95 theses to the church door, it was not like he lit the fuse to a powder keg. That's kind of the way we paint it in our recollection of history, but that's just not the way it was. You see, the church door opened onto the plaza, and it was like the town bulletin board. So if Otto the pig farmer had hogs for sale... He'd most likely tack a sign on the door of the church that said, hogs for sale, see auto. Right? So for Luther to take something that he wanted to present and tack it on the church door was not in any way an act of revolution. He simply wanted to debate with those scholars and those church leaders about some things that he thought needed reform in the Catholic Church. He didn't want to split away from the church. He didn't want to not be Catholic anymore. He didn't want to start the Lutheran Church. He just wanted some stuff to change. He didn't want to abandon the church what he wanted was the church to abandon some of these corrupt practices that tend to happen anytime there's money or power involved. And people. Money, power, and people. When those things get together, the outcome is sometimes less than holy, less than righteous. Now, the thing that's significant about these 95 theses and what eventually came from their their distribution, from word getting out about them. You see, up until that point, there had always been the church. Not several denominations, just one. It was the church. Luther never meant for that to change. So what exactly happened? in that that caused such division. See, one of the things that Luther was advocating was that the word of God be preached in the native tongue of the people. So if Luther had never proposed that and never gotten his way, I would be talking to you right now in Latin and you, if you were a Latin student, would understand it. If not, you would just nod your head in agreement to whatever it was that was coming out of my mouth. See, mass, the message, the sermon was always in Latin. The liturgy was always in Latin. The scriptures were always read in Latin. So Luther wanted to bring the mass, the word of God, he wanted to bring that to the people in a way that they could understand. Now, that wasn't all that was in the 95 theses, but that was a large part of it. The thing that caused these 95 theses to ignite the Reformation was that unlike other dissidents who had come before Luther, ones who had been burned at the stake or otherwise executed for their dissonance, the thing that was different was this thing called a printing press that had been invented roughly a quarter of a century earlier. Gutenberg invented the printing press. So eventually these theses got out and people began to align with Luther's ideas. Yeah, it'd be great if I could sit in church and actually understand what was happening. And people began to align with the ideas and the church, the power structure in time in the the church, in the church just couldn't abide that. See, power, money, people sometimes equals corruption. And so Luther was excommunicated at the Diet of Worms. Now, when you read this, if you read it in English, it says Diet of Worms. I guarantee you that is not what was going on here. Worms is a city in Germany. It happens to be where I was born. At this meeting called the Diet of Worms in 1521, they excommunicated Luther, an Augustinian monk. They kicked him out of the church have been much worse, but he had several of the nobility that were backing him, and they didn't allow him to be taken prisoner and executed. Good for Luther. And so that same year that he's excommunicated, he begins to translate the Bible into German. Now, once it's out of Latin and into German, well, the leap from German to English and other languages was very simpler, Uh, was much simpler for uh, the people to accomplish. And so In 1522, a year later, he introduces German worship services at the church in Wittenberg. Now, this is kind of the Pastor Stephen condensed version of the Reformation. So there's a lot of stuff going on here that I'm not talking about. But one of the things that's interesting, and you've probably heard this uh, name before, if you've ever purchased anything that was published um, uh, for the Christian church, William Tyndale that name sound familiar to you? Tyndale Publishing House. 1525, Tyndale begins to print the New Testament in English, and now the cat's out of the bag. See, in 1532, Henry VIII declares that the king, not the pope, is the head of the church in England. And in 1534, the act of supremacy formalizes that break with Rome, and suddenly one church became two. And after two churches, well, it's all she wrote. Because now look at us. We have multiple denominations. Once there were two, now it's open season. And then John Calvin's Protestant movement gains momentum. And others spring up as arguments over doctrine and theology cause these rifts. And then there are many divisions where there was once just one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And so we've been kind of fighting all this time to maintain, not the division, but to maintain the unity. Either way you go, division or unity, it's a difficult path. And that's why we struggle within the Methodist church to find the way forward, as they've named this committee, over these divisive issues. Because we don't know yet what God's plan is for the Methodist church. Will it become more than one church or will it stay as one church with certain concessions and compromises? We don't know. So here we are today with the United Methodist Church. It's in a very real struggle and there's talk of division. And to be sure, these discussions about things that divide us doctrinally and theologically and emotionally and even spiritually. These things are very real, very real discussions that have to take place. And as we have discussions about these issues that divide us as church leaders Prepare for conferences that might very well decide what the Methodist church looks like in the years to come. There's a few things that I want you to be aware of. First of all, this is not our first rodeo. The church. The whole one holy Catholic and apostolic church has endured division before. Lots and lots of division ever since the church in Corinth the Acts 242 church where everybody got together in houses and, and worshiped God and shared and broke the bread together ever since that time there have been divisions we see it here in the church in Philippi between these two women church leaders who for some reason we don't know why can't get along and Paul is saying Bring it together, ladies, for the good of the church. The second thing is that the United Methodist Church has been divided and reformed and divided again and reformed again and divided countless times and different ways over the years. The United Methodist Church, as we know it, has only been this way since the mid-70s. Okay? It's not an ancient church in the sense of where we are now. So don't get the idea that there's this hundreds of years of permanence in the United Methodist Church that it should never change because it has changed over the years. And the third thing, and probably the most important thing that we need to think about, is that we should never forget the source of peace that has always brought the church to the other side of these episodes of division. Make no mistake about it, with all of her faults that are born from the humans who make it up, the church is still divinely mandated. It's divinely authorized and it will continue to be that way until Jesus comes again or he calls us home whichever happens first don't let the talk of division and what the church looks like after all the discussions and committees have done their work don't let that be the thing That defines you as a Christ follower. Because the church is much bigger. Than the committee on the way forward. Than the things that divide us. That we're discussing and debating. The church is the bride of Christ. And as such will not be torn down. By anything that we do or do not do and so Paul's words ring true today just as they did when he was urging Euda and Sedice to make peace rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice let your gentleness be known to everyone the Lord is near Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. Whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. Wouldn't you rather think about those things than all of this division? Yeah, these are discussions we have to have. And whatever comes of them will be for our highest good. God guarantees that to us as believers. He has as his interest your highest interest, your highest good. And so whatever comes of this, we all will be blessed by it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.